0: This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com masters. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. In the last episode, Catherine and Alan from bestself.co explain how they built a $2 million business by syndicating Epic content. On this episode, you'll learn from an entrepreneur that's created a profitable business selling pencils online. In this episode, you'll learn how to do market research when there's not much data available, why you should sell stories instead of products, and how to actually sell stories, and why you might not want to carry all the products from a single brand. Today, I'm joined by Caroline Weaver from CWPencils.com. CWPencils is the purveyors of superior graphite, and was started in 2014 and based up in New York City, New York. Welcome, Caroline. Hi. So yeah, tell us a little bit more about this. What is a uh, superior graphite?
1: <laughs> by, well, you know, that wasn't originally supposed to be part of our name. And then when I was painting the door of our physical shop, I just painted that there. And now that's what we are. Nice. Um, nice. But um, I kind of consider, well, by superior graphite, I just mean pencils that are better than the average pencil that you probably are used to or would find in an office supply closet or would find at Staples. Um, a highly functioning pencil, basically.
0: Definitely. So you have, um, we'll talk about this a little bit more, but you have an actual storefront and you have a, an entire website dedicated to selling pencils. And this is not, you know, I think a lot of listeners might be like, this doesn't seem like a business that you could build, right? Selling pencils. And I think you can talk about this in one of the pre-interview questions about how you are selling pencils products to people that are into analog, uh, tools, which is an interesting way of putting it. Um, so what made you think about or think of selling pencils as, as a business?
1: Um, it's, it's something that I've kind of had in the back of my head for a really long time. I can't even pinpoint exactly when it first came up. Um, I've been an avid pencil user and just generally kind of old fashioned person for a very long time since I was a a kid. Um, I, have only ever really been interested in using pencils, and I've always appreciated them for their simplicity and for the ephemeral nature of them and for their history especially. And um, I'm as I got older, I noticed that a lot of the pencils that I liked weren't being made in the U.S. anymore, or they were just disappearing from shelves in, in, in just standard, I guess, everyday stores that we have here like staples or walmart i grew up in rural ohio so we didn't have access to like nice art supply stores or any of that and um i went to college abroad and traveled a lot and kind of realized then that there are all these amazing pencils that exist in other parts of the world that nobody here knows about because they're just not exported for whatever reason or um they just are made in really small factories for local markets and I also noticed that most of them are kind of better than what I consider to be the average. And um, I kind of had this idea that maybe someday when I was an old lady, I could retire and have a tiny shop that sells pencils and I could just sit here and talk about pencils all day. That was what I decided would be my dream retirement job. It just happened a little sooner.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's uh, definitely awesome that you're able to make this a reality much sooner. So you you like pencils. You saw that there was a, uh, I guess a, not necessarily a market right away, but you saw that there are other places that were selling pencils. And what made you, how did you know that? Other others would like it too like how did you know that there was a market to sell pencils to you know i guess people in in america
1: yeah i i guess that was the hardest part because um i first of all i don't have a background in business or marketing or any of that stuff and i was just doing all this by myself and so i i struggled to even do find places and ways to even do market research because there are no other shops quite like this there Mm. are a lot of shops that sell, that sell like a single brand of pencils, like a lot of these brands that I sell have their own shops in their countries and that sort of thing. But the thing, I guess the thing is, is that I didn't really know if it was going to work. Um, and in retrospect, I realized I was very naive about that, but I think it kind of worked to my benefit at the time because I didn't even have a chance to be scared. Mm. Um, and I, but I also had noticed that it seemed, it seemed like a timely thing because kind of the, the the popularity of analog tools in general, especially amongst younger generations, um, has really increased in the past five or so years. And so I just kind of hoped that there were other people looking for these things. Or I thought that at the very least, should I eventually be able to open a physical store? It's the, it's the kind of store that exists in New York that sells just one thing. And I thought just based on like the I guess the novelty value of having a shop that only sells pencils—it um, could be—it could be successful. But I think I think a lot of it has to do too with the fact that when I first started reaching out to brands and doing my buying, I was I was very surprised to find that a lot of these brands that I was interested in acquiring that don't really sell pencils, especially in the U.S., it just don't exist here. They were a lot more willing than I thought they would be to mm-hmm. sell pencils to me and. I thought, well, at the very least, I'll be the only person selling these things on the internet in the United States. So at least I have that market cornered. Um, and- yeah. Yeah, much, much to my surprise, it took off way quicker than I expected it to. Apparently, there are a lot of closet pencil nerds out there.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's um, this is something I've heard previously, too, from other entrepreneurs that will identify a, a market or a bunch of uh, brands or manufacturers or suppliers outside the U.S. or outside their home country. And when they are willing to do the marketing, the selling of those brands' products in their home country, those, those brands are so happy to work with them because finally they have someone that's on the ground that's willing to do the marketing and selling for them so I think that you're you touching on something which is that if you are able to identify that there is a lot of uh, suppliers a lot of brands outside your home country and you are willing to do the legwork to build the market and to, to sell to your home country I think a lot of suppliers are much more likely to work with you especially uh, or definitely even the, even when you aren't a large company yet they're much more willing to work with you because you're investing in them just like they are one. To you know, invest in you. Um, so you you weren't able to necessarily gauge the market interest uh, right away because there was no data. So give us an idea of the timeline. Then you started the. I think I read November two thousand fourteen was when it was launched. How soon after did you start realizing like, wow, I am onto something. There is a market, uh, even though you didn't have the data. You started seeing that there was a lot of interest in it. So when did that happen?
1: That it, I guess it happened pretty quickly. I. I went into this kind of sheepishly, I I kind of, my approach to starting a business, I think was probably not, well, I shouldn't say it wasn't a very good one. It certainly wasn't conventional. Um, When I first launched the website, I was a little bit afraid to tell people about it. And I had no marketing plan because I thought like, I just thought I'll see how it goes for a couple months. And then should I need to hire somebody to do that for me, then I'll figure it out. But I just want to like gauge what it's like to even do this job and figure it out myself before I involve anything else. And so I didn't tell a lot of people that I launched this website. And then there's actually a community of pencil users online that revolves around a podcast called Erasable. That's just about pencils. And they got word of it. And then they all kind of became very regular customers very, very quickly. And I, I hadn't, I hadn't really realized the scope of online communities like that. Like there are thousands of people who are interested in these things on the internet. And once that kind of happened, once the internet communities kind of knew I was doing this, it took off pretty quickly. And I, I, it was what, November, 2014, the website launched and then um, the physical store opened in March And by then, um, by then we were already doing well online and I felt confident that I could support a physical location as well. Um, and then from there, it just really took off. We had an article in the New York times and it was just a snowball effect and it still amazes me every single day. Just how many people are interested in this stuff.
0: Mm. So you mentioned that you were sheepish about the business at first. You weren't uh, telling everyone about it. Uh, why, Why did you feel that way?
1: I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I was doing something that sound that before I had anything to show for, it sounded pretty crazy. I was Mm. telling people that I was opening a pencil shop and even my, even my family, my my mom, especially they were all really kind of confused and didn't really understand how I was going to make a living selling things that cost like a dollar, especially in an expensive city like New York. Um, And so I had, I had told a few people and I just, I just kind of, wanted to feel like I fully understood what I was doing before I, before I got more people involved, which I mean, I, it doesn't, didn't really make sense. And when I, when I started the business, I did everything myself, even, even the things I didn't know how to do, I learned them because I thought if I'm going to be doing this by myself for a while, I'm going to have to know how to do all these things. And so it was a kind of slow process and I just felt like I hadn't, I hadn't figured it all, all out yet. So I just kind of wanted a slow start.
0: Yeah, this, uh, this approach where you are not exactly sure yet about the business or about the product that you have that you kind of go into it like one foot at a time, like one foot into the, into this new business, one foot into your, you know, regular life that everyone doesn't question, I guess. Do you feel like, I think this is first, I think this is a, a a situation for a lot of entrepreneurs where, you know, it's a risk averse, I guess, approach to it, which, you know, I think uh, as a lot of people, do you feel like you missed out on anything because you didn't, you know, go full charge ahead, uh, from the get-go?
1: I don't really, I don't really feel like I miss much. I mean, starting a business is really scary, especially Mm -hmm. when it's your first business. And, um, and especially for me, because it's something that I was so passionate about. And, um, I'm, I almost in retrospect am happy that I kind of did it so slowly and so blindly and so, um, so much on my own in the beginning, because I feel like now, now that I've got it figured out, I feel like in the beginning it kind of gave gave what I was doing this kind of naive, kind of genuine, qual- kind of quality to it that I don't think it would have had if I had gone into it with a marketing plan and was like really, really going for it. I I don't know. I think I think that that's almost part of the the charm of mm-hmm. my business is that it's pretty obvious that a person just did it and that it wasn't like a full team of professionals who are good at doing the business thing. It, it's
0: Yeah. You felt like the, this approach or this vulnerable approach that you took endeared you to your, I guess your customers at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, I guess so. Like it just, I feel like it just makes, it, it just makes it clear that I'm just a regular person who really, really thinks this thing is awesome and really wants to share these stories and these objects and these histories. And I, um, and I don't think, it, I don't think it hurt me at all. I think, um, and I, I mean, I, I, in a strange position where um, I've been very fortunate to kind of have a lot of press and have a lot of attention that has just like very naturally come to my business. But um, I don't know if it, if it was otherwise, if I would feel this way, but I, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think that that sort of vulnerability Kind of resulted in a in a more genuine business. I think if I had involved more people, I would have. I probably wouldn't have made as many mistakes. But I think the mistakes helped me learn and helped me figure out how to just do it better the next time. If I'd done it all right from the beginning, um, I don't. I don't know that this mm-hmm. that would have as much heart as it. Does. Yeah.
0: So so speaking of the early things that you had to learn, what what were some of them? What are some of the things that you find you found most valuable uh, about running a business that you had to learn on your own?
1: really, I really didn't know how to do anything. I knew how to find the pencils and that was about it. And I knew what I wanted the aesthetic to be, what I wanted like my website to look like. I even knew what I wanted my shop to look like. But besides that, I, I didn't really have a clue. And I think that's where Shopify actually really helped me because it was, and I'm, and I'm a person who, I mean, I'm a millennial, but I'm also a person who doesn't really understand computers. And so um, Shopify really helped me. I downloaded Shopify long before I even launched my website and just kind of got a feel for it because it's it's really user-friendly and it was easy for me to figure out. And like the reports were really helpful and I um, could keep track of my inventory and it made sense to me. But uh, the, of course, like the, the legal stuff is really annoying. That was difficult to learn. I was very insistent that Along with the help from an, along with help from an attorney that I figured that all out on my own. Um, and just like the little things like knowing when I need to restock on things, when they're stu- when it's stuff that takes three months to get here from India or knowing how to just even little things like figuring out how to ship everything, um, everything, yeah, everything was kind of a small struggle, um, in the beginning. And in retrospect, I'm really glad that I took the time to learn it all myself because now like should should I ever be left alone to do this, I can do everything no problem. Mm. with the designing the website like that was really something I didn't i didn't know how to do. I knew there was a specific typeface I wanted and I had to remember there was a night when I stayed up all night trying to figure out how to hook up the typeface that I'd bought to my Shopify template and I, eventually I figured it out and that was a really that was kind of like a, that was kind of a really big triumph. That mm. one thing, that that one thing, kind of made me think like, okay, if I figure this out, I can figure out the rest. It's going to be okay.
0: Yeah, those kind of little, um, I guess, pep talks you give yourself, those celebrating those wins, I think, are so important. Otherwise, you just kind of feel like you're climbing uphill the entire time without taking a break to appreciate how far you've come. So, I think that that's a, a great approach. So, did you uh, buy a lot of inventory before opening the store? Like, how much uh, did you have in stock? I guess, or what did you have in stock when you first uh, opened the the online store?
1: Um, oh gosh, we probably, uh, we were talking about this the other day because our two year shop online shop anniversary is coming up and we were talking about doing a sale on all the things that we've stocked since the beginning. And then when we thought about it, like really, we, it probably only about, I, I would say a little bit less than half of what we sell now we had originally. We add new brands all the time and we've also taken some things away, but, um, yeah, it's it was a slow process. The summer before I opened the opened the online store, I very slowly kind of reached out to all the brands I wanted to sell individually, I didn't really go through distributors, I contacted the brands directly and then got distributor information or just bought directly from the brands and bought like, pretty, I guess, pretty frugal quantities of everything, Well mostly because I live in New York city and I was running this from my apartment and I needed to store it all there. So I, I essentially just spent the summer filling my closets with pencils.
0: <laughs> Not the worst uh, product to have large uh, quantities of. <laughs> now,
1: they get heavy though. It was, it was so to move it all into the shop when that time came. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, a process trying to figure out exactly who your clientele is and trying to figure out exactly what people are looking for. Um, It's yeah. And knowing how much to buy, but these days I think we've got it pretty figured out. I can look at something and know immediately if it's going to do well.
0: So I want to go into this a little bit more. I think this is an issue that a lot of entrepreneurs run into, which is to decide what to buy. Uh, How, I guess how on the mark were you with that first initial, I guess, stock of inventory? Did you, were you able to sell out all of them?
1: yeah the I mean most of the stuff that we stocked originally we still stock um with the exception of a few things that have been discontinued or we sell we sell um quite a few antique pencils too, mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff, of course, that always changes but um i well i think for for a business like mine, it was it was pretty easy because there are only so many pencils that exist in the world, and mm-hmm. there there are still brands that I find out about that I didn't already know about, but of the of like the maybe. 20 or 25 brands that I knew about from the start. um, It was pretty easy. I mean, I, I was going for a certain look, of course, aesthetics do, even though I sell a functional object, the aesthetic of it, of course matters because people care about those things. And I was really going for things that have a history too. I think if you can if you can tell a story, if you can tell an engaging story about the thing that you're selling, the person that you're trying to sell it to will be so much more likely to buy it because there's this nice this nice little history that goes with it. And so that's, I was I wasn't just shopping for pencils honestly I was shopping for stories mm. as
0: well. I, well, I like this I like this a lot. So you're saying that uh, rather than just selling, hey here's a pencil, you're saying like try to tell a story behind it. Like, what kind of stories are we talking about? Like, what kind of stories come along with with pencils?
1: Um, like for for example, we have a couple of varieties of copying pencils which have dye in them. They used to have aniline dye in them, and they were really popular during well like world war one era before the ballpoint pen was invented because it has it's a pencil with ink in it basically so it's transferable so you could make a copy from it with like a wet sheet of paper or you could also sign documents with it because it wasn't erasable and at the time the only other option was a fountain pen and during a war it's a lot easier to carry around a pencil than it is to carry around a a fountain pen Mm -hmm. Um, so we sell vintage and current versions of those and we have we have one pencil from Japan called the Mono, the Tombow Mono 100, and it um, it's a really, really slick looking pencil. It's a real, pre, it's a really a premium pencil, and it's um, the 100. And the name Mono 100 indicates that it has 100 billion particles per square millimeter of its graphite core. Or we have a, a, most of the and most of the brands that we sell too are over. 100 years old they're around like the 100 year or over 100 year mark so there are a lot of stories we sell a pencil called the blackwing 602 which is a a current reproduction of a pencil that was very very famous kind of mid-century it was john steinbeck's favorite pencil he wrote most of his books in it
0: um
1: there's i have some sort of fact about just about everything we sell here
0: yeah. So, how do you uh, how do you figure out these stories? And when you are buying uh, the buying the products, buying these brands, how do you identify if you're going to be able to tell a story with the the products or not?
1: Um, I I do a lot of research and I ask a lot of questions. I um, I also think it's really important to have relationships with the manufacturers that you're working with. I like to make sure that I'm in frequent contact with all of them and that. Um, we have we have a good relationship beyond that. I'm just buying their things and selling them um, because then because then when they hear a story, I'm the first person they tell. Or mm-hmm. we we've had so many invitations to visit factories, which is a really great learning experience because we can see exactly how these things are made. We we went to Caitlin, who's um, my colleague here. We went to Switzerland in February to go to a pencil factory and learned so much. We learned so many little tidbits and really great stories from. The people who work there and from their CEO and their president and all these things that we never would have known had we not actually asked the questions and engaged with them directly. That's an important thing is kind of forming your own community around the thing that you sell. That's that's where you learn all the good stuff.
0: So you do some of your own research, but then rely heavily on the, the people you're buying from to help educate yourself on the products and the stories behind them. I think uh, that's an important point because I, I feel like a lot of times uh, stores are open up and they'll find a manufacturer, look for the cheapest one, and then just buy. You know, maybe talk with them every once in a while, uh, FaceTime or Skype or whatever. But then that's kind of it. It's just a business relationship. And what you're saying is that you can go deeper than that, build a much stronger relationship. Because they have a lot of these uh, stories, in your case, um, I think in a lot of other people's cases, but then just they they have experience in selling these products, so you should glean that kind of information off of them, and that seems like what's worked really well for you. Um, so what was your uh, – you mentioned that your your approach now when you're buying – you've been able to uh, be better at identifying what products are going to sell or not. So can you talk to us about maybe what your buying process was like uh, at the beginning and then how it's evolved uh, to, to the point that it's at today?
1: Yeah, um, well, in the, in the beginning, it was truly, well, pencils are generally sold by the gross, which is 144 pencils or 12 boxes of 12, essentially. And um, in the beginning, it was simple. As soon as like enough enough pencils from one brand were, um, if, well, I guess below 144, that's when I would reorder. But then I started to learn like, which things are likely to be back ordered and which companies take a really long time to ship their stuff. Um, and I started to learn like more about how certain brands like to have their POs formatted and how that helps them get orders out faster. And so I very well, and then I started, then I hired more employees and started to have other people doing this. So I had to really streamline it. So I just, it's very simple. I just made, I, now we work from documents that I've made that we keep on our, on our office computer. And, um, it has, I, I've entered every product that we sell, every item number, the quantities that they come in, the ideal stock quantity, um, the lead time, how they ship it, who to contact, which questions to ask, like just all kind of written out. So it's really, really easy. You just plug it all in. Um, but yeah, it's, it's still a process. Like there are still sometimes when we, I, I mean, and we, we have, we have a lot of really unique things. So we, um, we do a lot of stuff that, is easy to pitch to magazines and to online websites for gift guides and stuff. So we never know, like we might have a magazine coming out in a week that has a colored pencil set in it. And we're going to sell like 300 of those in a week. And like, sometimes we can't prepare for that, but mm-hmm. and we can do our best.
0: Yeah. So what about when you're uh, picking, we're looking for new brands, do you have an approach to identifying if it's going to be a good, like a good seller or not?
1: Sometimes, uh, there, I mean, most of the time when we get new things, when especially with pencils or like, yeah, accessories are pretty easy. Anytime there's a new accessory, we'll always stock it. But um, we've kind of figured out like what our customers are looking for. They, the, our customers generally like something that's really unique. They like something that they've never seen before. They like something that, of course is high quality, It has to be priced well. Um, we do occasionally get offers from companies who want to sell stuff. That's really cool, but like, it's just really overpriced and it's important to me that everything is accessible and that people don't feel like we're trying to rip them off. Um, and so it just, it just really, it just really depends. I, with that sort of thing, I still think that it's really just best to go with your gut feeling. It's, it's, I think that's how you build a cohesive inventory is by just kind of, just kind of going with it and making those decisions. I think if you think too much about it, if you think like, Oh, but like this, like, of course, I mean, you have to, in a shop like mine, especially like, there are certain things that are higher price items that I have to sell because those are the things that pay our rent. But, um, yeah, I try to, I try to not think too hard about it when I'm buying stuff, like thinking about like, well, if, is this something that's going to, um, is this something that's, I don't know. I don't know how to put this. Like something that's going to make people want to buy more with us, or like any of those kind of like tactics to get people to buy stuff is not really something I subscribe to. I just stock stuff that I love and hope other people are going to love it too. If I'm being honest, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's hard. I yeah.
0: Yeah, I guess you're you're saying that you're you know you're not trying to be super strategic about it, and you're just going with your your I guess your instincts, and which is based on I think just your experience as a as a customer, as a target customer essentially, and then also you know as someone that has so much experience buying and selling at this point. Um, so when you do when you uh, I guess. Uh, One thing you mentioned before was about how, in some cases, you will buy directly from the brands uh, versus through distributors. Uh, Can you talk to us a little bit about the difference uh, and maybe some pros and cons working with one versus the other?
1: Yeah. um, Well, a lot lot of the brands I sell don't have distributors in the U.S., so I have to deal with them directly. But I've also found that it just is really it can be beneficial because when I, like if I have an idea and I want to have something specially made, like because I have a relationship with the manufacturer directly, that's something that's way easier to make happen. Or um, feedback is just heard a lot better. If I can just go to somebody directly or if there's something I want to buy and I can't buy like the minimum quantity that a distributor would want and I have a relationship with the manufacturer, that's something that's a lot easier. And it's it's been helpful, too, for things that come out that are maybe limited edition or harder to find items um, because I, I, I'm often the first person who gets contacted about that stuff because they know that I'll buy it and they know that I'm probably looking for it. Um, we've had a lot of instances where there have been things coming out onto the market that are made in Europe or made somewhere else that have not been introduced to the U S yet. And, um, a lot of times if, uh, if, a if a distributor in the U S or if a manufacturer only has a certain allotment for the U S and they know that I'm interested immediately, I'm often the first one they contact and I have the opportunity to get those things first, or I have that I sometimes offer the opportunity to just like, buy all of them and be the exclusive dealer of that item, whatever it may be. Um, It's just, yeah, it's just, it's just different it's just a different experience it's just different so,
0: so when you when you do pick a, a new brand to work with and I know you're saying just now about how you you don't think too deep about you know what can this do for the entire business as a whole and look at all of this from a, a super strategic point of view uh, but when do you when do you evaluate whether it was a, a good purchase or not like when do you how long do you wait So like what are you looking for to determine okay we should continue to buy this particular brand or this particular product?
1: Yeah. Um, I, I look at the sales figures and I also, I, th- that's also a thing that we really use social media for. We love Instagram. We do a lot of Instagramming and we have a pretty big following on Instagram. I think we have like one, 104,000 followers. And so if we Instagram something, we know almost immediately what people think about it. Um, and that's really helpful. Um, and I mean, there are things that we sell that we have always sold that I will probably always sell for as long as they're being manufactured that don't sell really well. But I, but they're important to me because I think they're really interesting and I think they add something to our range of products and it's, it's okay if it's not, if we're not selling like 200 of them a week, that's fine. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, that's, that's another reason why I love having a physical shop because that, then I can actually interact with people in here and I can listen to what they're saying about things and that's really helpful to have direct feedback from customers but um that's another thing that really really just depends like there there have been things that we've sold in the past that are really really hard to get a hold of and then once we got a hold of them nobody like they didn't sell really really fast like we thought they were and a lot of it has to do with like the ratio of how well does it sell how much effort does it take for us to get it and does it make sense with the rest of the stuff that we sell. thats Those are kind of the three factors that we think about.
0: Mm-hmm. So I want to go back to something you said earlier about how the business, the brand, the, the store really took off uh, because of these online communities. And I think, uh, I'm not sure if it was you or Kaylin that wrote in one of the pre-interview questions about what has led to your success was uh, appealing to a niche audience that loves analog tools. Uh, so, How did you, did you, you, I think you said that you didn't even know about these communities before they really took hold of your, your products? Yeah.
1: Um, I, like I said, I'm not, I'm not a computer person. I don't have, I, until I had to make one for my business, I never, I didn't have a Facebook profile. Like I don't, I'm, I'm not really interested in any of that stuff. And it wasn't until, um, I started poking around a bit that I realized that all of these communities existed um, which I think is kind of hilarious that people go on the internet to talk about writing with pencils. Um, something about that always makes me really laugh. But <laughs> um, I, yeah, those communities are like they're honestly those are the people who decide what's going to sell well in our store or not. If mm-hmm. we stock something that like three people in that in a group and an online group love, everybody in the group will buy it. Um, and we do. We do also sometimes do like exclusive promos for, for especially our, our online community called Erasable for the podcast. Um, just because they're like those groups of people, I guess, when you put a bunch of people who are so passionate about this one object together, like they're, they're a force that nobody can really compete with. If they, yeah, if they were to ever stop shopping at my shop, I think it would be a totally different and it would be a totally different business. But yeah, the, it's been interesting kind of discovering more communities of people. And it's not even just about pencils. It's about like the whole analog tools lifestyle. Um, and it's, I mean, there are com- even more communities of people who love pens and even like pen people um, are often interested in these things too, or they aren't interested in them and they think it's because pencils like all the pencils that they've tried aren't very nice and they don't realize that there are better pencils out there. And so that's where the internet is a useful tool where we can kind of go into these communities and engage and just kind of be like, Hey, like this is a thing that I think will help you. And we're, we're very careful to kind of treat when we participate in like communities on Facebook or even on our own social media, we we're pretty careful to not like go in as a business, but kind of go in as individuals who run a business um, because we never want people to, we never want to make people feel like we're like alienating them or simply in it because we're trying to sell them things mm. we want them, that we're in it because we are in the same boat as them. And we also just want to just simply want to talk about these things.
0: And how, how big were these? You, I mean, I'm not sure if you have a, a number in, in mind, but like, how big were these communities?
1: I mean, our, the erasable podcast community is our, um, kind of main point of reference, and that has, they have quite a few thousand fol- followers. I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how many, but.
0: These were just, these were like, they're like Facebook, this was like a Facebook group? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's important because, you know, a few thousand or several thousand, it's not like a, a ton of people, right? You know, certain groups, certain, Pages have you know tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people, but you're able to build a business off of a group in a I think you know relatively niche community. I mean, I obviously I'm not the biggest gauge, best gauge of this, but I didn't know a community like this existed at all, and you've built a business around it. So, do you feel like this is like a, I'm going to call it formula, but. Do you feel like your particular case is unique where you are able to build a business off a small community or do you feel like this, this exists for all types of industries?
1: I think it probably exists more than a lot of people realize it does. I don't know if, um, if it would be the same story for, for any other type of business. I mean, for us, it was at least a good starting point. I mean, the, the, the majority of our customers now, much to my surprise initially, are people who don't even know that these communities exist. And so it's kind of been it's it's been productive in a way that we've also been able to help these to like help the community of pencil users, because we are always talking about it with people that we meet in the store who don't even know about it. And so we kind of help each other out in that way. And I think we've helped to grow the community. Um, as much as the community has helped us to grow
0: our business. Yeah. I like to think of, um, especially if you have a community of your own or you're part of a community, uh, if you've built a community around your brand, again, whether that means building something of your own or just, uh, I guess, attaching yourself to an existing community, the products itself almost become a, a natural, I guess, byproduct of being a part of these communities. Like you have to, I don't have to, I guess, but you, you, it's a great. It helps you participate a lot more by trying these products, buying these products, using these products. I think that by itself is a great kind of, you know, sales engine, I guess, without having to be salesy. Which it sounds like, you know, what helped you guys really take off. And you mentioned earlier that if only a few people like the products that you're putting out, everyone will buy it. Can you say more about this?
1: I mean, I think it it works. It works on any any social media platform. Kind of that, like if if the right person likes it, or if in in a in a, a community based around things like this, if somebody buys it and they post a picture of it and write about their experience with it and say that it was like the most amazing thing they've tried in a few months, and other people take notice and they come to our store and place orders and buy other things in addition to that thing that they were looking for that's been highly recommended to them. Um, because they, yeah. And I mean, they, they trust us. They know that we would never stock anything that, that like they wouldn't like for some reason or another. But, um, I think it's just, it's nice to have other people, other people kind of, I, I mean, it's, I don't know how else to put it other than this way. It's nice to kind of have other people kind of out there, almost like selling your things for you, mm-hmm. like regular people who are using them in their daily lives. Um, I think those sort of testimonials are really important to have. Um yeah. we've um, we got a lot of that on Twitter too. We have a lot of people tweeting about like a certain pencil that they that they bought that they really love and they link to it and then all of a sudden we have ten orders for that one pencil. It's
0: yeah, I mean it sounds like what you're building is organically is just a bunch of influencers, right? You are be able to tap into the influencers. Other, I'm, I'm not sure if you're doing it directly or not, but it sounds like once an influencer is vouching for your product, vouching for the brands you carry, uh, that is, you know, all you need really to take to have things to take off. And it's such a big uh, part of a lot of people's marketing plans today. But um, it sounds like you're not even doing this directly. It just seems to kind of pick up for you because you are. You know, carrying these products and being a part of the community is almost like a natural, uh, I guess, effect of uh, being a part of these communities. Putting the products out there, if people like it, if the influencers like it, then that really helps kick things off for you. Uh, so, so when you are now, once you discover these communities and once you've been a part of them, are you able to do uh, the, I guess, the market research now that you weren't able to access before?
1: Um, a little bit a little bit. That's, that's something that Caitlin works more directly with than I do. Um, she, she was the, she was the first employee I hired and she, um, she's great because she is good at all the things that I'm not good at. Um, which is nice. We work well together, but, um, yeah, she, she does most of that. We have now, now that we have data and we have numbers and we can kind of, and we have a much wider reach now, of course, than we did before. And it's, yeah, it's it's a lot easier than it used to be, but quite honestly, a lot of the times we don't even need a lot of that because we've like you're talking about influencers. Like I think like our shop itself for this uh, for because I, I mean the object that we sell to a lot of people is kind of like a seemingly stale thing that's uninteresting, and so um, that's kind of what what we're doing is kind of bringing like a little bit of almost like a cool factor to this object that nobody pays attention to. So. Um, yeah, just, just by us choosing something that we think is really awesome, most people believe us that it's really awesome because we've kind of,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you have these communities that you're a part of. You have your social media profiles. You say you have over, have over 100,000 followers on Instagram. When you are in the process of of uh, either buying a brand or stocking a brand for the first time or not can you walk us through the process of how you maybe do the research or introduce the products slowly to to the communities and to these profiles and how you actually ultimately I guess launch new products because I think this is a Um, a pretty straightforward formula that a lot of people are going to follow, you know, be a part of the communities, uh, maybe start a community of your own, have some kind of social media presence of your own, and then take very similar steps. I think that, that you're taking to successfully pick the right products and then successfully launch it. So can you walk us through your, 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 you know, your process, I guess, if you have one?
1: Um, yeah, with like finding totally new things. I mean, I, I, I think it's important for us to actually go out and find those things on our own sometimes. Um, we, we've started doing what I call once a year pencil vacations where Caitlin and I go to another place for a trade show or to visit something. Um, the first year we were open, I went to Japan. And then this year, Caitlin and I went to a trade show in Germany and then we went on to Switzerland to visit a factory. And those types of places are really, really useful because we can kind of see what's the norm in other places and find things that we maybe didn't know about. Um, but honestly, a lot of the, for us, at least a lot of the new brands that we sell come to us because those brands approach us about selling their things. So it's become pretty easy where we don't have to even put in a, huge, a tremendous amount of effort to find things on our own. Um, because we either, or we get tipped off by somebody in a community that we keep up with or one of our customers. Um, if something is happening in the world of pencils, we're usually one of the first people to know about it just because somebody's probably emailed us. but, um, yeah. I mean, we, I don't really like to stock like a single product of a brand. I think it's important that we, and I also don't like to stock the whole range because I think it's important that we have at least somewhat discerning taste. that we say like, look, all these things exist. And we, from this selection of like 20 items, we've picked the nine that we think are the greatest. And, um, we are kind of doing the work for you by telling you exactly which ones are the best. Um, And so I I think for, I think it's more about like kind of gauging numbers, like how many of a product from a single brand are we going to sell so that they kind of have their own story together, but where like they're, they're all interesting on their own too. Um, Because if we have just one pencil from one brand, people are going to be like, well, why, why don't you have more? Like, do they make more? Um, Is there like a reason why you only have one? And it's also a lot of work to kind of seek out things from other countries that require expensive shipping Um, Usually a more complicated buying process when we're just going to stock one item. So a lot of it has to do with like, are we interested in selling this whole range? Or if we only want it for one product, then it's more times than not, not even worth stocking. Hmm,
0: I I like that you say that you don't want to carry all the products from a single brand because you want to at least... Uh, show that you are being selective and show that you're curating uh, your product catalog and not just you know, being a middleman or middle person and passing things along straight from the, from the brand. So once you have identified that, okay, I want these products from this brand, how do you, do you work with the communities anyway? Do you like introduce, the, hey, we have you know, new products in stock? Like, do you have any kind of uh, I guess plan to when you want to introduce a new brand that you started carrying in your store?
1: we're really into sh- kind of sharing, sharing that stuff, especially the stories behind it. That's when the stories really are useful when it's something mm-hmm. that's really unknown where we can kind of be like, look at this awesome brand. This is when it was founded. This is where it comes from. This these, here are some like cool facts about the stuff that they make. And here are like all the specs about how these things are made. And like that, that information is really useful in those situations. And we, we like to blog about that kind of stuff or, um that again is where instagram comes in handy most of our sort of like product announcements happen there um which then we of course put on twitter and facebook usually we try not to do all three all the time for everything because we don't want to annoy people that's another thing about how we do our marketing that is maybe a little bit unconventional we don't send a lot of emails we do occasionally do promos and we send emails for that but we probably send two emails a month um as part of our email marketing because, um, and, and one of them that we send is a newsletter where we kind of put links to blog posts that people might find interesting. That's where we introduce new things. Um, and people actually read it because they, I think we have, we have something like 20,000 people on our email subscription list and people who have opted into it. And, um, I, I think I think it's effective because a lot of people listen to us more when we do have something to say because they know mm-hmm. that we aren't emailing them every single day about every little thing that happens.
0: Makes sense. Can you give us an idea of have you know about being two years in business? Uh, how successful is a business today, or the, the growth of the business since the beginning?
1: Yeah, I mean I. Um, I went into this with very low expectations because I was starting a business in New York city. It's, and and I really, I really wanted a physical location and that's, that's a hard thing to do. I I had kind of thought, okay, worst case scenario. Um, I will work, I will do this by myself for three years. And if I'm not making any money in three years, then I'll evaluate and figure out what I'm going to do. Um, and We've grown really, really naturally, very quickly, but very naturally. I mean, our, our physical store has been open for about a year and a half, and in that year and a half, we I now have four employees, two of whom are full-time, and we've had to get an office down the street from our shop because we're, we're starting to run out of space to pack orders and to keep our inventory Um and now we have kind of it, it was a lot of like ups and downs as we we had a lot of really insane press that made us very 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 busy some weeks and then not very busy the next week and um after navigating all of that now we've kind of hit a point where we're like very like steadily making up a, a modest profit nothing like we're not making millions of dollars off of pencils but um mm-hmm. we're we're in a place now where we're busy all day but we're not overwhelmed and we're easily making enough money to do, to take on new projects, to do what we want to do, to pay everybody, to pay our rent, to, um, yeah, just function as a business. Um, and I feel really grateful because I never thought that's something that I'd have with this shop so soon. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been a real learning process, but Um, to any anyone who thought this was crazy in the beginning, which was, I guess, a lot of people, it is indeed possible to make a profit selling pencils.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. So where do you want to see the, the store, either the retail store or the online store in the next year?
1: Um, in the next year, I think I really want to work on growing our online store. Um, I get offers all the time about opening other physical stores, which is something I'm really not interested in um, because running a physical store is a lot of work. And coming to our store is a very hands-on experience that I've spent a lot of time kind of figuring out, and I think it'd be so hard to replicate anywhere else with as much integrity as this one shop has. Um, so I think I would love to I would love to kind of get into doing more of our own products, which is something we've kind of started doing, kind of collaborating with other brands um, and having stuff that's designed by us, made exclusively for our shop, um, and just continuing to grow our online store um, by getting new interesting things in and by kind of reaching other markets that we haven't really hit yet. Um, And I think that's pretty reasonable. I mean, although I have a hard time thinking about the next year because most of the things I thought would happen in the next five to 10 years have already happened. (laughs) And I'm quite happy with the way things are. I didn't sign up for this to be a businesswoman. I signed up for it because I really wanted to sell pencils.
0: Very cool. Thanks so much for again for your time, Caroline. So cwpencils.com is the website. Anywhere else you recommend our listeners check out? They want to follow along with what you're up to.
1: Um sure. Yeah, you can um you can follow us on Instagram at cwpencilenterprise and on Twitter at
0: cwpencils as well. Cool. Thanks again so much for your time, Caroline.
1: Thank
0: you. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.